Show. More behind-the-scenes information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Jamie Dupree comes right at you from the Hill in D.C. On the Sean Hannity Show. All right, it's the most connected man in Washington, D.C., except he is on the campaign trail for the Sean Hannity Show and others... The one and only Jamie Dupree is about to go into a Ted Cruz event. How are you, sir? Fine, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. was down there yesterday. I'll see you down there on Thursday and Friday of this week. Um, the polls seem pretty consistent. If you no, look- I'd agree with that. There's definitely sort of a trend that shows uh, Trump uh, with a with a very good lead, sort of in those low to mid 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the only issue seems to be is Cruz being caught by Rubio or does he have a few points over Rubio? There were a few polls out yesterday that showed him tied uh, at 14 or at 18. Yeah. And then I'm still not seeing on the ground. I uh, just at a Jeb Bush uh, event earlier today and then saw the uh, the big uh, gathering last night with George W. Bush. Were you there just last night? Because I didn't see you. I couldn't get to it. My plane. Oh. I had uh, I had the worst day of travel yesterday, and oh. uh, and, and did not have enough time to get over there. So I went to see Rubio instead. But uh, Jeb's. Uh, I just I just don't sense sense that there is a big spark right now happening. With it was Jeb a pretty Bush, big crowd in Charleston last night. I mean, I was out there. Watch. I was watching from behind the screen. But I, I. It seemed like a big crowd that I saw. There were a number of reporters though who said, and I've seen this at a few different places. That when they went out in the crowd and interviewed people, there were a lot of good things that were said about you know, nice things about George W. Bush and about Jeb Bush, but not that many hard and fast Jeb voters or anything like that. And it was interesting today because in his uh, first event that I saw here, Jeb threw some usual elbows at Donald Trump, but then much more turned his fire on Marco Rubio. And in a little gaggle with reporters afterward, very specifically went after Rubio and the experience issue, saying that he's more experienced than Rubio is and knocking him for, you know, all he knows about foreign policy, Bush said, is that he goes to foreign relations committee hearings and things like that. So I wonder if we're seeing a slight adjustment of the Bush message here, which mm-hmm. would be meant mainly to finish, try to finish ahead of Rubio and ahead of Kasich in order to sort of say, hey, I'm the best one outside of Trump and Cruz. Let me just give you the numbers. If you look at it's uh, let's see the Gravis poll, the South Carolina House GOP poll, uh, you got Trump 14, 19, uh, 17 uh, in the PPP poll. You've got a Virginia Republican presidential primary number. That's a little closer. That's Trump plus six. Rubio's second in that contest. Uh, you have two polls where Cruz and Rubio are tied. PPP has Cruz and Rubio at 18, then Kasich 10, then Bush 7, then Carson. And uh, the South Carolina House poll has Rubio and Cruz tied at 14th in second place. And you have the Gravis poll has Cruz in sole place in second place at 23 and Rubio 19. So. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see the crew's crowds and turnouts over the next couple of days. Rubio's uh, crowd yesterday in uh, two of his events starting to remind me of where he was in those few days before Iowa and New Hampshire, that is before the debate uh, mishap occurred. He clearly is garnering some interest, but it's just hard to tell whether it's just some people who are coming out now or maybe they're going to come out later for him, you know, and actually vote for him. That's a whole different. Well, that was issue, wasn't so. that the whole I mean, these polls look very, very similar to me to New Hampshire. Although, I agree. Absolutely. And no. I think you cannot ignore that Trump has had this lead for a while. To me, this is his state to lose. Uh, and I'm not saying he's going to screw it up or anything, but I just think that if his people turn out, he should win at the end of this week. There, It should be called right away. I think it'd be that big of a win. Uh, and I think what's really fascinating about Trump this week 
is he is not sitting on that lead. He has come down here and, uh, you know, both in the debate and out on the stump, has been slugging it out with Cruz, calling him, you know, uh, uh, a liar and more. And it's not somebody who's just decided he's going to sit on his lead and hope that he's still ahead by the end of the well, week. Well, I was told by somebody in their campaign, as you know, I talked to all the campaigns, that yesterday alone 100,000 calls were made. And that is a far different story than what was happening in Iowa. And I think that far exceeds even what they were able to recover in terms of a ground game in New Hampshire. So it seems like I think you're right. I think there's certainly there's been a lot of catch up in two short weeks by the by the Trump campaign in terms of the learning curve is high. One of the biggest and I think most interesting stories unfolding is if you look at what's happening in Nevada, uh, you've had Hillary Clinton just a short time ago was ahead by 25 points. Obviously, yeah, not anymore. Momentum. Yep. The panic button has been hit over a possible loss in Nevada to to Sanders. Um, there's a huge fight going on between the Sanders and Hillary campaign over delegate snatching. Uh, I'm not sure it helps Hillary that they have hookers for help Hillary now that is formed out of the the bunny ranch in Nevada. And then you have the Hillary campaign is now complaining that Nevada is too white for her to win. Now, uh, Sanders is actually here today in South Carolina doing a few events, and he's going to be over in Atlanta later tonight for a rally at Morehouse, which is yeah, uh, Morehouse know, is a black college, yeah, big college in Atlanta. And, and so he's he's uh, you know, he's not spending his whole week in Nevada. So I, I don't know how close that's going to be. But let's just say this. If he comes close and or even wins in Nevada, that's all momentum. And it, again, I think it points out the feelings of the shortcomings of Hillary Clinton at this point in time. Again, I don't think she's a much different candidate than she was eight years ago. But I just feel like out here on the trail, she's in a weaker position personally than in terms of attracting votes and support than she was eight years ago now the polling here in south carolina for the democrats is still in her favor though definitely not as much as a few weeks ago but they looked at nevada as the as the firewall let me read from john ralston the dean of uh, silver state press corps writing this morning the clinton panic is palpable clinton aides have bent over backwards to lower expectations as saturday approaches exaggerating the share of the electorate that will be white and after getting a late start in Nevada, uh, Sanders is massively outspending Clinton in the state. He sees an opening here, and they say that, that Sanders really seems to be making inroads with minority voters, especially Latinos, and there's problems with Bill Clinton again causing headaches because he went off script and started bashing Bernie Sanders, which was not part of the plan. And uh, Bill is actually here. The former president's up in Greenville doing an event today, and it's been interesting. I think the other day she was supposed to go to Florida, and he was supposed to be in Nevada, and I think they flipped places, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to send her back out to Nevada, and he took up her slack. Yeah, he went to Florida. Florida. Yeah. It's it's obvious that the the Clinton people, this is not going as simple as they thought it would to be able to win, win, win and put Nevada away and then win the week after in South Carolina. So let's see what happens first in Nevada. If Bernie Sanders can win there, then that momentum thing really kicks into gear down here in the south. If he doesn't win in Nevada, then that might be one of those things that slows him down. We'll just just have to wait for the, the final verdict. Of All the right. Voters. So in the Democratic side, you need four thousand seven hundred sixty four delegates at the Democratic convention, which takes place in Philly in July. OK, most of those delegates are allocated by voters and votes held in primaries or caucuses. 
uh, a full 15% of the delegates, 712, are unelected so-called superdelegates. So, 700, so 712 superdelegates are elected Democrats in Congress, parties, governors. They make up a significant chunk. As of now, all of those superdelegates, for the most part, are going to Hillary. That is infuriating. Yep, that's exactly what she tried to... Well, it's what she tried to do. This is the same thing that was set up eight years ago, and that was the formula she tried to use to stop Barack Obama early on. And then it was uh, then you had some people like John Lewis, the Atlanta congressman, who started switching and peeling away from her and going to Obama. So the rules uh, in terms of the number of superdelegates, I don't think, have changed really dramatically from where they were eight years ago. This was the system they've used. It is different than the Republican system for delegates that they have in place. And these superdelegates, the party leadership, the party elected officials have much more of a say. They're technically undecided, but the big game always is to try to get them over to your side. Now, this same formula was used by Hillary Clinton eight years ago. It did not provide victory in the end. Yeah. All right. Now, let's go to the issue of Scalia, because I think Charles Krauthammer nailed it. He said about the Supreme Court nomination, he said this is the moment of his life, meaning for Mitch McConnell and the GOP better unite in blocking the Obama pick. I'm going to take it a step further because it was what I suggested yesterday. This is the last stand. If 60 percent of Republican base voters feel betrayed now, now that they have come out with this position that they're not going to allow Obama to make this pick, if they don't use every weapon in their arsenal and hold the line on this, I will tell you that, I, you know, nobody can predict how angry the base will be. This is a big issue. No, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, of course, uh, uh, look, the president can nominate. The Senate does not have to accept that nominee. They can defeat that person or just not even hold a hearing and move on about it. I do think the one the wild card will be is how much pressure that is put on by the bully pulpit of the president, because I don't expect him, uh, if the Republicans block a nominee, to just go quietly. But that's for you know a different argument, a different time. In the two events that I've seen down here so far, in the aftermath of Scalia's death, the issue has come up immediately in the Q&A at both of them. And so it's obviously on the tip of the tongue and on the mind of a lot of Republican Party voters. For the most part, <clears throat> excuse me, for the most part, Sean, you're seeing Republican senators in the Senate sticking with Senator McConnell and sticking with the idea of just blocking any nominee. I would expect that there will be some Republicans, though, who will feel like that what would be a better course would be to go ahead and have hearings go ahead and have the votes and then stop the nominee that way with a majority vote against. I mean, even Robert Bork got a vote against him. Uh, I th I'm sure some will say so there. Not everybody's been heard from because remember, the Senate is out this week. So what I think when they return next week, we'll certainly hear a lot more. Yeah, well, I think it's it's going to work its way through. But I think this has now become a very, very big issue in the campaign for the first time. An ad has been released and it was released by the Cruz campaign and basically promising that he is the only candidate that will appoint uh, the proper successor for somebody like Antonin Scalia. I don't think you can ever replace a guy like him. I I'm sure you feel the same way as me, and I'm not asking your personal opinion on this, but just from an intellectual standpoint, when you would listen to Supreme Court arguments or you read transcripts, as I do, I mean, is there anybody that was that brilliant, that sarcastic and funny, that biting and either... Uh, writing an opinion or a dissent as Scalia. I mean, we lost an extraordinary justice here. 
He was certainly one of a kind in all the, the different arguments that I've covered over there. You always perked up when he spoke. You're absolutely right. And, you know, it's funny to sit back and sort of look at it, and you forgot that he was the most senior on the high court right now. And certainly what makes this, I mean, look, anytime there's a Supreme Court vacancy, it's a big deal, Sean. Anytime it's in an election year, it's a big deal. When it's in a presidential election year, it's rarely happened. It's an even bigger deal. But obviously what makes this so important is the fact that it could tip the ideological balance of the court. And that's why I certainly don't look for either side to back down very easily on this. Uh, and certainly this is going to be a fight that uh, transcends more than just the trail. It's going to be all, all through the halls of the Congress as well. Are you as surprised as I am at these conspiracy? theories swirling around his death i mean Uh, nothing surprises me anymore i guess you know i i I get it i understand it it's just a fact of life out there i'm not sure i put any credence in it but i don't think they'll go away anytime soon let's put it that way well there's talk that he had the pillow over his face there's talk that uh, well then we had the autopsy ordered then it wasn't ordered because the judge then talked to his doctor and his doctor said he had high blood pressure and a pre-existing heart condition of some kind you have homicide commanders now coming out publicly saying they're stunned that no autopsy was ordered um and so it's it's taken on a life of its own isn't it yeah and with the internet it'll keep taking a life of its own i guess the the only lesson there is for the powers that be that better just to do it and order an autopsy and get it over with but even that i would bet wouldn't stop some from coming up with some conspiracy theories i tell you sean the biggest thing real quick that i'm struck by here in south carolina that i wanted to say to you is the the sort of uh, continuing fight between speaking of the supreme court uh, between cruz and trump cruz uh, in the debate and again in the last few days has argued that trump would appoint liberals to the court all part of cruz's drive to sort of argue to people that trump is not a real conservative he's definitely gotten under trump's skin on that point and i look for him to keep hammering it home uh, in in his in his bid to argue that Trump is is not grounded in conservative thought, a point that has Trump obviously threatening a lawsuit and more. All right. Uh, once again, we appreciate it, Jamie Dupree. He's on the ground in South Carolina. We'll see you back there on Thursday, see you, Sean. We really appreciate your uh, reporting.